How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Supporters of same-sex marriage were very dedicated. They lost the ballot box 32 straight times before they prevailed. I don't agree with the outcome, but I do admire their persistence. I think pro-lifers should show civil persistence in the future. Cults are notoriously controlling and manipulative, and I think the woke movement really operates similarly because they seed such foundational lies, both anthropologically, what a human person is, but also spiritual lies. In our current culture in the United States of America, there seems to be an abundance of preoccupation on the state to the extent we see the other estates of family and church being neglected and in decline and deterioration. Once we surrender a objective truth outside of us in the scripture, an objective truth outside of us, I am baptized. I receive the body and blood of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in, with, and under the bread and the wine. When that goes by the wayside, then what I'm left with is my feelings. Wisconsin turkey producers love issues, etc. These two institutions, as we usually call them, marriage and the family, are definitely under attack today. There's no doubt about it. It is a fact that families come in all shapes and sizes, but everyone has a father and everyone has a mother, even if they may not know that father or mother. And every father has a child and every mother has a child. There's certain biological facts that cannot be changed no matter how much we try and change the definition of marriage and the family. But in that real marriage, in that real family, how does God call us to serve our neighbor? How does God carry out his work through his word and spirit of sanctification in the family and in marriage. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It'll be part two of our series, Christian Sanctification in the Three Estates. Today, Christ's Light through Husband, Wife, Parents, and Children. Dr. Alfonso Espinosa will join us. We'll spend some time with Pastor Dennis McFadden, a former Baptist pastor, and pastoral assistant in Emanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, talking about evangelicalism and Lutheran sacramental theology. Dr. Alfonso Espinosa is senior pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. He's author of The Issues Etc., a book of the month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. Dr. Espinosa, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. Great to be back. Can you give us a brief review of the three estates that we discussed before? Absolutely. In uh, Lutheran theology, the three estates listed differently depending on the source you're looking at are the family estate, the church estate, and the state estate. Those three estates are permeated by a fourth estate, not alongside of them, but which is above them, that we know as the Christian estate or the spiritual estate. That is the estate of the constancy of the Christian in Christ's holy love that is always guiding our vocations as we live in the three 
estates of family, church, and state. A couple of qualifications. It's important to keep in mind that when we speak of the church estate in estate lingo, we do not use that word church in the same way that we use it in the two kingdoms system. In the two kingdom system in Lutheran systematics, church is the una sancta, the one holy church, pure in giving the grace of God through the means of grace for the forgiveness of sins. So that right-hand kingdom, as it's known in the two kingdom system, is purely for that perfect bestowal of the grace of God in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. When we shift over to the three estate language, the church, as well as family and the state estate, is also secular and not only divine, in that it operates within the world and knows a in-the-world secular aspect. By the way, the word secular in and of itself isn't a bad word. It simply means to be out in the world. So in the three estate language, when we get to church, we understand it also in the practical respect of being in the world. That's one qualifier in understanding of the three estates. The second qualifier comes when we use the word state to refer to the state estate. Some people want to assume that the word state is synonymous with government. That would be a mistake as government is only a subset within the state. The state also includes our school system, for example. It includes all the cultural aspects of entertainment and everything we do out in society and the various leaders within those scopes within the state. So family, church, and state are the three estates, and we rejoice in the fourth Christian estate or spiritual estate of love, which permeates all the three within the world. How is the estate of the family really at the heart of all the estates? Thank you for asking me that question. I had mentioned before I gave the overview of the estates that you will find, depending on the Lutheran author you consult, a different ordering of the three estates. And sometimes you'll have the order of priest, which stands for church, first. And, you know, there's there's freedom in the gospel, depending on the particular theologian you consult to list it in varying ways. However, the reason why I put family first is because this is literally where we begin. God gives us life through father and mother. Our lives begin there. And our first pastor is our father, who is responsible for bringing us to the font of holy baptism. We are taught the faith in the home. And even after we go to a local church, the pastor does not replace the spiritual leadership of Christian parents, but supplements and supports the leadership, spiritual leadership of those Christian parents. So it all begins in the family. Now, your question, Todd, urges us to remember what I'm trying to put across in this book. You can't talk estates unless you talk vocations, and you can't talk vocations unless you talk estates. 
when you consider the estate of family, you got to back up and ask yourself, which vocations fit under this particular estate of family? Well, in answering that question, one of those vocations is the vocation of husband and wife. And this is the horizontal call or vocation, which is above all others, and really becomes the heart of the family estate. And I would argue, for that matter, the heart of all of the estates at the end of the day. It is that estate which depicts how God in his ultimate wisdom in giving us the Holy Scriptures, (laughs) starts in the Word of God in the book of Genesis, a marriage, as in Genesis chapter 1, creating the male and the female in his image and giving the first commandment given to humanity, be fruitful and multiply. Scripture begins with a marriage. And then you get into the book of Revelation, And what do we see happening at the end of God's holy word in the book of Revelation? We see the bride of Christ coming down. And we see another marriage between Christ and his bride, the church. Marriage shows us God and his church, God and his bride. It is the stability of, the example of commitment, the example of sacrifice, the depiction and the epitome of the Holy Cross, which leads to tremendous blessing. It is the arena of the highest love in this world. And it is in this estate that we see the heart of the matter of God's gift to us and family. How does the horizontal call of God, how does that take priority there in the family marriage? And why is that horizontal call of marriage really above all other commitments save the Christian faith? Well, it's in that horizontal call of marriage that the family comes into existence. So before we can ever talk about being a parent, being a child, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a grandmother, a grandfather, a cousin, which are all very, very important vocations within the family estate, you need to begin somewhere. And in the beginning, makes all the difference in the world. My wife, Tracy, and I, we've had a blessed experience of being foster parents and adoptive parents. And we learned firsthand from a very practical perspective that when children come from a broken marriage, it has a tremendous spillage negatively upon lives going forward. So all of the other family estates rest upon the foundation of husband and wife and holy marriage. This horizontal call is, uh, again, how the Lord would show us if we want to understand what a proper relationship is, then we see in marriage a husband who gets the instruction of St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is a cross summarized with the word sacrifice. And, and Todd, what, what does this world need today? Leaders who sacrifice. But then going to the wife, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That submission, that humility is another thing our world is starving to see. What brings both? Both of these qualities, which so epitomize the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ, sacrifice and submission, is marriage. So marriage is a testimony, it's a living picture. It is a perpetual sermon that proclaims that in the Christian husband and Christian wife, the cross of Christ shines brightly, and every other vocation in family then has the light of Christ shining upon it that we may know how to live out those sacred vocations, starting with marriage. Dr. Alfonso Espinosa is our guest, author of The Issues, Etc., a book of the month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. When we come back, why do we need to prioritize our horizontal callings? How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in The Issues, Etc., a book of the month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is a short ad, and I don't have time to explain the whole thing to you, but you and your family need a good Lutheran church. You need this for spiritual nourishment and training and for the support and community that comes from like-minded Christians. Your children need Lutheran friends who can become Lutheran spouses. If you don't have that where you live, you should move. One of the places you should consider is Fort Wayne so that you can attend Redeemer, maybe send your kids to Redeemer Classical School, or just get your homeschooled kids involved with the school. Besides the church, Fort Wayne has lots to offer, including jobs. If you want to talk to families that have done just this, picked up and moved to Fort Wayne for the sake of the church, we can introduce you to some. And if you want to come for a visit, we can even help with housing. Life's too short and your children are too precious to live where you aren't spiritually fed and cared for. Your job, your income, is not the most important thing in your life. Find Redeemer Lutheran in Fort Wayne on the internet and drop us a line. We'd love to help. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's Phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program, for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. 
If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's part two of our series, Christian Sanctification in the Three Estates. Today we're talking about Christ's light through husband, wife, parents, and children. Dr. Alfonso Espinosa is our guest. Dr. Espinosa, why do we need to prioritize our horizontal callings? And this is one of the wonderful things about having gotten into the research on estates and vocations. Oftentimes, in practical pastoral counsel and catechesis, we pastors get the questions, you know, based on people feeling overwhelmed with so much on their plates, so much to do. We live frenetic lives. We feel so busy. Our calendars are so full. But sometimes we are the ones who unnecessarily perpetuate the the stress because we fail to recognize that Scripture itself gives priorities to relationships. The priority in in marriage, and speak in those terms, is wonderfully depicted by Luther in the way he talks about marriage. And I want to share this with our listeners as Luther is making it clear about the inherent priority, and then I'll I'll apply this to the other horizontal calls. Luther writes, therefore, God also wishes us to honor it and to maintain and govern it as a divine and blessed estate, because in the first place, he has instituted it before all others. He created man and woman separately, as is clear in Genesis 127. This was not for lewdness, but so that they might live together in marriage, be fruitful, bear children, and nourish and train them to honor God. Therefore, God has also most richly blessed this estate above all others, for marriage has the highest importance to God, so that people are raised up who may serve the world and promote the knowledge of God godly living, and all virtues to fight against wickedness and the devil. So far, Luther. Now, to understand that priority means to properly invest in that relationship of holy marriage, Todd. When a Christian couple does that, then they put themselves in the perfect position to take on the next vocation to become Christian parents. First of all, they've gotten past the worldly idea that marriage is about self-fulfillment. And so many people take this hyper-individualism that we've talked about before regarding a prior book, and they want to hold on to that false God and bring it into marriage. Marriage is about me going out into the world and finding that person who tickles my fancy, who impresses me the most, who's checked off most of my boxes. And now I'm married to them because they bring the most pleasure to me. This is demonic. 
Instead, we understand that when God says they are no longer two but one, that he has bound us together. He has connected us, like glued us together. We cleave to one another. We understand the sacrificial nature of holy marriage. That's when we understand commitment. Now, if we've got that clear, we then take that and we become the parents that God wants us to be. We are then there committed to raising our children in the Lord through all the ups and downs, and we stay by that commitment because we have been forged in the identity of what it means in God's eyes to be married. Now we can be those parents. So yes, there is an order, there is a priority, and the light that we receive from Christ in that vertical call shines upon the horizontal call of marriage, and it extends, that light extends into the horizontal call of being parents. You say that marriage is both a gift and a cross. What do you mean by that? Well, I'll leave it to Luther to bring out the law and gospel in just about anything we talk about. Luther is magnificent and always reminding us that you don't truly have all the blessings that come with any God-given vocation unless you know a cross. Crosses are heavy. They're painful. They're associated with death. It's very appropriate because our sinful nature needs to be crucified every single day. So that cross is also a gift. But in acknowledging that it is indeed a cross, it means that we're going to experience struggles in our everyday vocation. So he applies this to marriage. So here is the law quote from Luther. If man and woman are truly joined in marriage, they do not have an easy time. For married life means labor and sorrow, or else it is not right before God. Wherefore, if in your married life you have to endure much sorrow and labor, be of good cheer, and remember that it is so ordained that it is God's holy will that people should marry. Therefore, in the name of God, I burden myself with trouble and give myself to marriage willingly and cheerfully. If you refuse to do this and wish to do better, your soul will be lost, however well it may go with your body. That's Luther on the cross of marriage. And then he goes on to talk about the blessing. (laughs) As the Holy Spirit enables us through the word and sacraments of Jesus Christ to be faithful, and knowing that active righteousness of Jesus we talked about last time is, is there because he holds you in his hands and lives in his people as you live in him, we also know the blessing that comes out of that cross. Luther If we consider it in a godly and Christian way, the greatest thing is that on wife and on husband, the word of God is written. If you can look upon your wife as though she were the only woman in the world and there were were none besides, if you can look upon your husband as though he were the only man in the world and there were none besides, the no king and not even the sun will shine brighter and clearer in your eyes than your wife and your husband. 
For here you have the word of God that gives you your husband and your wife and says, the man shall be yours, the woman shall be yours. That pleases me well. All angels and creatures find pleasure and rejoice therein. For no adornment is above the word of God through which you look upon your wife as a gift from God. How is marriage both a secular and a religious estate? It is a secular estate in that we have to abide by the aspects within the civil realm or the state estate that impact and affect marriage. We are, remember that subcategory of state is the government, Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter 2, 13 and following. We owe obedience to the governing authorities that are from God, established by God. We have to pay taxes if we're married. There are some people who avoid marriage and they'll use that as an excuse. They, they want to get around paying taxes, for example. But we honor God as we also honor the civic authorities, the civil authorities. We are also in a position in married life to be part of the witness to the civil realm in being honorable citizens, contributing to the general culture and society in ways that show the light of Christ. We are also in a position in the civil realm to be able to speak for marriage between husband and wife, man and woman, which we know is a desperate need in the world today. But imagine, Todd, being able to do it, coming up to a microphone at City Hall or some other place as one who can say, my wife and I have been married for 20 years. My husband and I have just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. My grandparents, who are still alive, have been married for 60 years. That kind of testimony is indispensable for the secular realm. It is also of the spiritual realm, though, because. It is from God to be a sermon, if you will, a proclamation of God's gift that reflects, and the comparison is rich in Holy Scripture, most especially in Hosea and Ephesians chapter 5, where God himself says, if you want to get what marriage is proclaiming, see in it its corresponding aspects of Christ and his bride, the church. And as a result, for the Christian husband and Christian wife, the way they learn to live in the sacrifice and submission that Christ has called them to is from the most beautiful and practical ways. For example, in James chapter 5, verse 16, the scriptures teach the importance of a constant private confession and absolution. We most certainly want to learn to go to our pastors as father confessors, which I defend elsewhere in another writing. But we also know that in holy marriage, we have a confessor built in. 
the husband can go to his wife in Christ, and the wife can go to her husband in Christ. What does James say? Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. And both the husband can proclaim the absolution and the wife can proclaim the absolution to each other. And in this way, we also know the spiritual aspect of holy marriage. We're talking about marriage and a little bit later, parents and children with Dr. Alfonso Espinosa in our series on sanctification in the three estates. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. In this wonderful month of thankfulness, we thought it would be a great time to say a huge thank you to Pastor Todd Wilkin, Jeff and their team. For almost 10 years, they have opened their broadcasts to Ad Crucem and allowed us to share our products with their listeners. Thank you to Issues Etc. And thank you, dear listeners, for all your support and patronage over these years. God bless you from Ad Crucem. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Faithful Christians are facing enormous challenges and uncertainties. Where are we to find our strength? Join us at St. John Lutheran in Sycamore, Illinois, as Pastor Adam Kuntz presents on the theme, Strong Under Pressure, the Church's Life in Paul's First Letter to Timothy. This conference is on Saturday, November 18th. Go to ChristianFaithAndLife.com for more information and to register. That's ChristianFaithAndLife.com. Truth, beauty, goodness. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethlehem Lutheran, Altamont, Illinois. Faith Lutheran, Capistrano Beach, California. Holy Cross Lutheran, Albany, Oregon. Emmanuel Lutheran, Osceola, Iowa. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Excelsior Springs, Missouri. Peace Lutheran, St. Louis, Missouri. Resurrection Lutheran, Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. St. John Lutheran, Topeka, Kansas. St. Paul Lutheran, Wildwood, Missouri. And Trinity Lutheran, Waterville, Minnesota. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, We'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. Journal.
If your confessional Lutheran church is putting together its budget for the next year, please consider adding the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. to your congregation's mission or advertising budget. Congregational sponsors are promoted on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Download and print a one-page informational flyer on the support donate page at issuesetc.org and hand it out at your upcoming voters meeting. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor in 2024. We're talking about sanctification in the three estates. Dr. Alfonso Espinosa is our guest, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. Dr. Espinosa, what example does the Holy Family, Mary Joseph and the Christ Child, give to husbands and wives? I had a lot of fun writing this. I think uh, there's not a lot of attention given to these details. It's understandable that even from the Holy Church, the, the early church, when the church with its early theologians and councils were defending the person of Jesus Christ, leading to the great creeds, especially the Nicene, for example, regarding Christ as true God and true man, that Mary is held up as uh, Theotokos, the God-bearer. And then, of course, the uh, medieval era uh, got carried away and started to go too far with its Mariology. But in all of this, Mary gets a lot of attention, and even in the Lutheran Confessions, we express a proper piety towards uh, the Virgin, the Mother of God. However, in saying all of this, uh, (laughs) who often gets left out? And the answer, of course, is, is Joseph. But I think when you stand back and you take a close look at what was happening with the Holy Family, Joseph is a phenomenal example of a holy father, a holy husband and a holy father, a holy husband to his wife Mary, and a holy father to his son Jesus. First of all, he is a man of impeccable love and character because he does the very, very best to protect his wife Mary. And I'm not talking about simply physical provision, but he cares so much even during the time of being greatly alarmed of her pregnancy before they had come together to protect her reputation. He could have exposed his suspicions and uh, done great harm to her reputation. He had the right to do so, by the way, but he didn't do it. This shows that this man was truly concerned about his wife. I say wife because betrothal in that culture was kind of a stage one of two of marriage. And from a public perspective, they were married. So he's already treating Mary, his wife, with this great sense of, I'm going to be your guardian, not only for your physical needs will I be responsible for, but also for your psychological and your spiritual needs. I'm going to protect your reputation. But then he gets the word from the angel, as you know, and he's called to protect Jesus by taking him into Egypt. And all the while, he's providing for his family in the face of great physical threats and political danger. He does not hesitate to be the guardian of his son and the one who cares for his wife. And so he takes them to Egypt, and all the while, he's providing this shield for his wife and his child. At one point, 
I asked the reader to consider how Mary might have viewed all of this. Joseph epitomized what a godly husband does. He is a guardian, protector, and supplier of his wife. The husband depicts true manhood by not allowing anything to hurt his wife. We hear St. Paul in the background in Ephesians 5, 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And we hear St. Paul again in Colossians three nineteen: husbands love your wives, do not be harsh with them. And then there's St. Peter's affirmation in 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Mary had such a husband, strong for her, faithful for her, always being that husband who showed Christ to her and to the unborn Christ. What were some of 16th century reformer Martin Luther's insights into marriage? You quoted him before about the cross and the blessing. Yeah, you know, it's uh, refreshing to see that when the Reformation took place, it wasn't simply the matter of what was most important in centralizing Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession on uh, justification. Um, but as a result of, of that alignment, the proper alignment, so many other things came out to put us in a position, for example, to have a better understanding of Christian sanctification, which follows justification. So one of the things that Luther was able to do in understanding the, uh, the freedom of the Christian in this regards, he certainly was aware of Matthew chapter 19, the eunuch, the one who is not married for different reasons, but understanding that if there was that legitimacy to be married, that we entered into this highest call within the family estate. So Luther was very serious about viewing marriage also as spiritual as a divine estate. And so he was very interested in providing pastoral counsel and guidance in a work, a resource that he produced, referred to as the marriage booklet. Luther wrote it, and he teaches about marriage. In that booklet, Luther guides the church as to how to prepare couples to be prepared for marriage by the pastor. And I think this is a phenomenal outline that pastors should be using to this day. After teaching the couple that marriage is ordained by God, Luther, the great reformer, went on to emphasize three points. The first point is that marriage is the command of God concerning this estate. He, he is teaching, what does God command concerning this estate? And from a Christian view, Todd, when we know how it is we are saved, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, gift of God, not by any works so that no one can boast. We understand now we are saved on account of Christ. 
So when we approach the commands of God, yes, they're still there to accuse us because every day we need that accusation of the law so that we once again confess our sins to God and rejoice in receiving constantly the forgiveness of sins in Christ. But according to the new man, we also see the commands of God as something that we delight in. John talks about this in 1 John. Because we get to glorify God that way, and we get to serve our neighbor that way. And we need that instruction. Lutheran confessions say we need this instruction precisely because we still have the sinful nature. But as a Christian now, the reason we do what we do in relationship with the command of God is because God says to do it and because he makes promises to bless us as we do by his grace. And what this does, Todd, on this first point that Luther put out, the command of God concerning this estate, reminds us, as you go forth in marriage, don't make this about your fluctuating emotions, the undulation of how you feel, whether or not you're in the mood, whether or not you think you're still in love, whether or not you're still getting satisfaction from your marriage. Don't go to all those subjective evaluations that Satan would be glad to take and distort, to tempt you, to flee. Stick to the command of God concerning this estate. Crucify all the other junk and stick with God's command. Number two, the cross that has been laid upon this estate by God. One of the reasons I love the Word of God is because He's so clear, He's straightforward, He's real, He doesn't hold back. (laughs) He tells us exactly what we are to expect. You're going to enter into marriage and receive a wonderful gift in marriage, and that means you're also going to get a cross. And crosses are painful, they're hard. Marriage is hard work. It means every day we've got to crucify our flesh that wants to go the other way and learn to serve our spouse and to be in the image of Christ towards our spouse. So Luther wanted us to spend time and being realistic about understanding the cross. So no one is surprised. There are no surprises here. And we know what to do with that holy cross as we crucify the flesh. And number three, Luther taught on the comfort that comes forth from God's hold on this estate with grace and blessing to celebrate how the Lord has promised to bless those who are faithful in the holy estate of marriage and the tremendous comfort that we receive when we know that our marriage honors the Lord Luther could speak this way, and he did about his wife, Katie. He writes, Though I may look over all the women in the world, I cannot find any about whom I can boast with a joyful conscience as I can about mine. This is the one whom God has granted to me and put into my arms. I know that he and all the angels are heartily pleased if I cling to her lovingly and faithfully. 
Dr. Alfonso Espinosa is our guest. It's part two of our series on Christian sanctification in the three estates. We will turn to the vocation of parent next. Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. The Christian religion is not like a buffet line, a modern smorgasbord of beliefs offering a wide range of tempting choices. Rather, it is the good deposit handed down to us in the scriptures through the history of the church that we might believe and confess who Jesus Christ is. To learn more about Pick and Choose Religion, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. To subscribe, visit cph.org witness or learn more at our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Education and edification. You're listening to Issues Etc. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our series on Christian sanctification in the three estates. We're talking about husband, wife, parents, and children. Dr. Alfonso Espinosa is our guest. Turning to the vocation of parent, what is that vocation, Dr. Espinosa? The vocation of a parent, we're really served, Todd, by being able to give a very clear and direct answer by reminding ourselves, first of all, that when Luther wrote the small catechism, the listeners will recall that the small catechism has as section one what we refer to as the six chief parts. And I think that it's fairly typical that when Christians in the Lutheran Church think of the catechism, it's understandable that the six chief parts are is that section of the catechism that comes to mind so often and so easily. We have to remember, however, that there is a section two on the daily prayers, and there is, I'm going to get to a section three in just a second, but there's also a section four. And that section four is a Christian questions with their answers, which is especially good to be used as the pastor is preparing confirmands to receive the Holy Supper, preparation for the Holy Sacrament. But we need to remember also is there is a section three, the table of duties. Lest anyone think that Luther was ever trying to be creative, because that's not what good theologians do. Good theologians get to the Word of God and stick to it. He is going through the various 
stations and vocations. And he says this to parents. There's one scripture, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this scripture that Luther chose to put forth in the table of duties is a wonderful summary of what it means to be a parent. And for this section, Todd, I went to Thomas Winger, who wrote one of the Concordia commentaries for Concordia Publishing House. He has a a wonderful elaboration of this scripture in Ephesians. This is Winger. As the husband was exhorted to exercise his headship with sacrificial love, so now the father is warned not to abuse his authority through excessively severe discipline, partiality, unreasonableness, or unjust condemnation. He is to exercise his fatherhood as God does. He is to treat his children not as property, but as fellow members of the body of Christ. So far, Winger. And uh, our dear brother, Dr. Winger, also provides this insight that the verb used here for bring them up means to nourish. (laughs) It gets back to that image again of what husbands are doing for their wives and uh, like caring for their own bodies, this nourishing care. Nourishing care, Todd, takes time. It takes time and energy, a loving sacrifice to our children to raise them the right way. That includes instruction. Instruction is embedded in this idea to nourish, to teach, to set the mind right. And when you think about this, Todd, it means that we can't give our kids sound bites throughout life. We need to spend time with them. We need to spend time with our children. We need to prioritize them in our lives. We need to speak to them. And if we're being the spiritual head we're supposed to be, we need to be leading them into the Word of God. Our children should know that in this family we pray. In this family we worship together. And I have a father and I have a mother who talks to me about everything. We talk about all the big things and all the little things and all the things in between. It is to have this view of parenthood that walks with our children and lives with them in the word of Jesus Christ. Luther provided a prayer for parents, and it goes like this. Dear Lord, I have thy word, and I am in the station that pleases thee. This much I know. Thou seest all my inadequacies, and I know no help except in thee. Help thou, therefore, because thou hast commanded that we should ask, seek, 
and knock, and has said that then we shall surely receive, find, and have what we want. So far, Luther. Amen. When you step back and look at that prayer, what did Luther appreciate? That the call to raise and to nourish our children, as parents have been called to do, is a tremendously difficult task. In fact, it is impossible according to our power and strength, which is illusory. But it is utterly utterly possible in Christ. So we are begging him. We're begging the Lord, asking according to his will. We know he will provide when we pray according to his promise, according to his name and will, that we shall receive what we need to go about humbly and boldly to be the parents he's called us to be for our children. Correspondingly, what's the vocation of a child? So one of the ways I bring this out is to remember that in the large catechism, when Luther is elaborating upon the various ways that we live in our our spiritual estate in love, that agape love that's always permeating our estates and vocations, uh, Luther calls to our attention that um, children, that estate of child, uh, they are not simply called to love their parents, but they are also called to honor their parents. So Christian children also have a call not just to be served by their parents, but to serve and honor their parents. And, and parents are the children's most important neighbors as they grow up. This is a cross certainly for the child. It's a holy cross. It's easily perceived as a cross because to begin with, uh, since we're sinful from birth in the time of our conception, we, we're always rebelling against the fourth commandment. You know, you shall honor your father and your mother. Uh, Luther uh, asked in the small catechism, what does this mean? Well, we should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them serve and obey them, love and cherish them. The fourth commandment is the first and greatest among the fourth through tenth commandments. That's Luther in the large catechism. And Luther wrote, to the position of fatherhood and motherhood, God has given special distinction above all positions that are beneath it. He does not simply command us to love our parents, but to honor them. So to honor Todd and and not merely obey requires learning to respond to one's parents with, as Luther put it, with modesty and humility. Not because parents are good in themselves, but because of the call given to them by God. When a child honors her parents, she is honoring God. And when she dishonors her parents, she dishonors God. So parents represent God to their children, and therefore parents are to be not only obeyed, but honored. Luther said, we must therefore impress this truth upon the young, that they should think of their parents 
as standing in God's place. It's part two of our series, Christian Sanctification in the Three Estates, with Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to issues, etc. If you're a parent concerned with the unbiblical teaching at your child's public school, check out a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod School. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod operates more than 1,600 early childhood centers and preschools and more than 800 elementary schools. Find a Lutheran school near you at lcms.org schools lcms.org slash schools. On the other side, we'll talk about how the vocations of parent and child are lifelong. Providing artillery support for the church militant on the front lines, you're listening to Issues Etc., How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest issues, etc., a journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online issues, etc., journal, issuesetc.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. on this Thursday, November the 16th. It's part two of our series, Christian Sanctification in the Three Estates. We're talking about Christ's light through parents and children. Dr. Alfonso Espinosa is our guest, senior pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Irvine, California, and author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. Dr. Espinosa, talk about how parent and child vocations are for life. Yeah, indeed. You know, when God gives us a vocation, I'm trying to think of an exception to what I'm about to say. You know, I think I should put an asterisk in some way when I think of possibilities of state vocations. But so many of our vocations, Todd, are vocations that we hold for life. Both of my parents of sacred memory that I miss very much, my father, Roberto, my, my mother, Josefina. I continue to honor them. They're they're both in heaven now, Todd. But I honor them, and I seek to honor them the way I live today and the way they taught me to live in so many wonderful, wise ways. And by carrying on some of their traditions and passing them on to my children and grandchildren, I continue to honor them, even as they are in heaven. What makes it interesting, Todd, is that at the same time, Christians can be challenged by what we're talking about in that, okay, I get it. Before I became independent, before, especially before I got married, my parents had this primary place in my estate as a child. Then I got married, and all the stuff we talked about prior about marriage comes into play, where marriage becomes the primary call within the family estate, which is to say that your being a son or a daughter is no longer the primary call. However, it is still a call. It is still in play. It is simply now reprioritized. So we continue 
to, as a married Christian, we certainly have that primary call towards the spouse as we were talking about. And we now have the new next call in line, if you will, if we have children, to be parents. But that call of honoring the fourth commandment has not dissipated. It's still there. So we continue to honor God by keeping the fourth commandment for the rest of our lives. I have sheer delight in my heart when I think of my relationship with my mother, for example. I was well into my 50s, and my mother still called me her baby. I'm the youngest of four, and I was still her baby. When I'd go to visit her, she'd make my favorite dishes and spoil me and love me in some very special ways as she called me her baby. I got to live out being able, by the grace of God, to continue to honor my parents into their old age and to serve them. I share in the book some practical ways that I honored my dear father. He was in his 80s. He was in the twilight of his life. And he was in a wheelchair. And uh, I had the, uh, the honor and privilege to help him bathe, get him into the shower. Uh, one day I got him into the bathroom and was getting him out of his wheelchair and got him ready for his shower. Had, had the water going. It was warm the way he liked it. And I had a plan for getting him up and in. But the way it turned out, Todd, is I, I managed to have to go into the shower first. I hadn't planned on that. And so there I was, literally taking a shower with my dad with my uh, clothes still on. He and I, I'll never forget, were just holding each other, laughing our heads off in that moment in time. Something similar happened to that when I was trying to get up in a van. He started to slide off his seat in the van, and I caught him, and we went down on the floorboard of the van and held each other as we laughed. I cherish those moments. They were opportunities for me to honor my father, to serve him, to help take care of him. And so Luther is is very practical when it comes to describing the uh, practical relationship of uh, our responsibility as children, really throughout life, towards our parents. He says, uh, learn, therefore, what is the honor towards parents that this commandment requires? A, they must be held in distinction and esteem above all things, as the most precious treasure on earth. B, in our words, we must speak modestly toward them. Do not address them roughly, haughtily, and defiantly but yield to them and be silent, even though they go too far. C, we must show them such honor also by works, that is, with our body and possessions. We must serve them, help them, and provide for them when they are old, sick, infirm, or poor. We must do all this not only gladly, but with humility and reverence as doing it before God. For the child who knows how to regard parents in his heart will not allow them to do without or hunger, but will place them above him and at his side and will share with them whatever he has and possesses. That's an ongoing call. Finally, if you would, with just a minute or so, speak about the situation of the single parent. This subject matter of, first of all, being single in and of itself 
was and is so important to me that I devote an entire chapter in the book on singleness. So I just want the listeners to know that it's so important that we hold up all of the vocations. And when a Christian is single for the reason of their seeking to be faithful to God and in their mind and heart know that this is their station, sometimes it's brought upon us if we lose a spouse. Other times we devote ourselves to service in the Lord. We may adopt a child. But to first of all, be encouraged. Uh, One of the things I'm arguing in this book is the single Christian gets to be a light to the world of what dedicated discipleship is all about. And outside of the family estate, discipleship period, just the overarching estate, which corresponds to Christian love, is that a state that serves God, as always honoring God. The first thing I would do in speaking to the single parent is to rejoice and be glad in this opportunity that you are one in a position to show the world what Jesus does in giving, in serving, in sacrificing as a disciple in this world that's all about, in our current culture, hyper-individualism. And you say, I refuse to go along with the crowd, and I will show the world to the glory of Jesus that I'm here to serve him, and most especially as my priority in my family unit, my child or my children to the glory of Jesus. And what I would also say to that Christian parent single, is that they have opportunity to help remind the local congregation that we are all the family of God. And therefore, as local congregations are able to stand alongside our single parents, to be a blessing to their family unit and to help support the raising of children. So I think this is an opportunity, Todd, to let the light of Jesus shine so, so brightly. There's so much we can do to honor God by honoring our single parents in the church. Dr. Alfonso Espinosa is senior pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. He's author of The Issues Etc., a book of the month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture, You can purchase this book by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040 or on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Dr. Espinosa, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. We will be discussing evangelicalism and Lutheran sacramental theology with Pastor Dennis McFadden, a former Baptist pastor, after this. The blood of Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. 
Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. Criticism. I just had to call in to respond to this week's installment of Never Trump Drivel from Terry Mattingly. Compliments. I love the interviews and insights because they help me battle the slings and arrows of outrageous theology and practice. Clarification. Is there a point where, without baptism, infants go to heaven, and after which time they go to hell if they're not baptized? The Issues Etc. Comment Line, 618-223-8382. Defending the faith, teaching the truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memorial Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world. Their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now.